So our, our sermon text is Judges chapter 1, verses 1 to 7. He said, we're beginning a new sermon series. We're calling it the gospel according to judges. And uh, I mean, I'm excited for a bunch of reasons. There's a lot of just beautiful portraits of how God saves his people and judges. Uh, it's, there's a lot here. So buckle up. It should be, it's, it's challenging. There's, there's difficult parts. But in, in the end, it does lead you to Jesus. And that's the goal. And so let's read this passage and then we'll we'll start it's judges chapter 1 verses 1 to 7 it should be page 200 in the blue bibles under your chairs this is the word of our god after the death of joshua the people of israel inquired of the lord who shall go up for first for us against the canaanites to fight against them and the lord said judah shall go up behold i have given the land into his hand And Judah said to Simeon, his brother, Come up with me into the territory allotted to me so that we might fight against the Canaanites. And I likewise will go with you into the territory allotted to you. So Simeon went with them. Then Judah went up, and the Lord gave the Canaanites and the Perizzites into their hand, and they defeated 10,000 of them at Bezek. They found Adonai Bezek at Bezek and fought against him and defeated the Canaanites and Perizzites. Adonai Bezek fled, but they pursued him and caught him and cut off his thumbs and his big toes. And Adonai Bezek said, Seventy kings with their thumbs and big toes cut off used to pick up scraps under my table. As I have done, so God has repaid me. And they brought him to Jerusalem, and he died there. And this is God's word. It is true and trustworthy and given in love. Let's pray. Our Father God in heaven, Jesus told us that the scriptures are for us, but not about us. And so in this strange passage, Lord, I pray you would show us how it points to your shocking salvation through Jesus, our long-promised champion and king, uh, who came to crush evil and restore us by his grace. And so as we see that then, I pray you would move us in our hearts, you would circumcise our hearts that we would long to follow you, be taught by you, and to not wander from the left or right from this great salvation that you have given us. So give me clarity of words and may your spirit be here to bless, uh, to bless your word, to change us into the image of your son. In Jesus' name, amen. Like I said, I've got... Two goals today. I want to introduce the book of Judges about how to read it, and then I want to show you how uh, Adonai Bezek getting his thumbs and, and big toes lopped off is good news for God's people. And uh, so it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a journey. It's going to be about how do you read the Bible in the beginning, and then we'll, we'll nail down specifically uh, what's going on here with this, this king with, who has no thumbs. Right, but So first, what I want to do this morning is convince you that Judges is a Christian book. There's a reason it is included in the, in the Bible. And it's, to say it provocatively, it's just as Christian as the Gospel of John or the Book of Romans. Uh, it, it's about Jesus. This is a Christian book. Even if all the children's illustrated Bibles completely miss out on that fact. Right? I have not found a kid's Bible that has J.L., 
the most blessed of women, right, using the hammer to crush that guy's head. Um, you won't find judges in veggie tales. Right? Unfortunately, they couldn't find a way to moralize Shamgar, killing 600 pickled Philistines with an ox goad. Right? I mean, there, there are some amazing pictures in here <laughs> that aren't as catchy in the modern evangelical American church. Um, I did find one ancient artistic portrayal of our passage of Adonai Bezek, and it's this guy named Hans Horbein the Younger who made a series of woodcuts in the 1600s. And in the particular picture, you've got Adonai Bezek with his one hand being held down by a soldier. The, the, the thumb executioner has the sword. It looks like he's about to chop him off with the elbow. But, and you're wondering if he knows what he's doing, but if you look closely, one hand has no thumb, and the toes are floating around on the ground, and it's just, well, it didn't make... You won't find it in any kids' Bibles or in any VBS curriculum. And I say all that to say Judges is a hard book. John Calvin didn't preach through it. Uh, he never got there. Um, I don't know if you'll find Joel Olstein opening this in his, on Sunday mornings. Because uh, how do you moralize this book? And that's, that's the challenge here is it's really, you cannot moralize this book. And, and the point is, is many Christians are ashamed of the content, the violence, the, the sexual immorality, and they're just generally unsure how to read this because if there's no one for me to imitate, how is it helpful to me? Right? How, do, how does this book help me follow Jesus if it isn't about me and what I must do? And that's, that's my first point, is this, this book shows most clearly that, this, that the Bible is about God's shocking salvation, his grace towards sinners. The Judges is about a series of pictures and portraits of God's shocking and surprising salvation of people who do not want to be saved. Even when they're crying out, they're not crying out to God, they're just crying. They don't want to be saved. And yet God shows up again and again and again. And so this is my first point. I want you to see that Judges is about God's shocking salvation. And that's really why it's so hard to read, because when we come to the Bible, we want ourselves to be the hero, uh, to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. We want hope for humanity. But the only hero of this book is God, the covenant-keeping king, who continually shows up against all odds. It's really against all human reason that he is faithful to a faithless people. Even as they get worse, because Judges has a spiraling effect, it starts out well with Judah, and it ends in Sodom and Gomorrah, like sins, in Israel. And so, the way I come to read the book of Judges, I come, it's helpful to know how to read the scriptures. The New Testament helps us understand this book very well. Just start with Jesus. Jesus says, in John 5.39, he says, this is a good one to memorize, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they, those scriptures, that bear witness about me. And so Judges, according to Jesus, is about how it's bearing witness to Jesus and the eternal life that he gives, not what you and I must do, first and foremost, to get that eternal life. Right? And so take Jesus seriously. He's saying the law, the prophets, the writings, everything from Genesis to Malachi bears witness to him, and that includes judges. All right. 
And so if you read Judges as a book, how you have to get better, how you have to work hard to get God to bless you, um, or if you read Judges just how to get out of God's punishment, to get God to bless your work or to bless your romantic life or to fix your family, to fix your kids, to put more money in your bank account, uh, Judges is going to offend you because it calls, you the, that, calls that idolatry <laughs> to use God for his gifts. See, Judges shows us a God who is God and unashamed of that. And Jesus says Judges is about eternal life through him, so we're going to see that. And I'll break it down a little more. You go to Romans chapter 1, Paul got this. Um, Romans chapter 1, verse, verses 1 to 3, Paul says, I'm an apostle set apart for the gospel of God, the good news of God, which he promised beforehand in the scriptures through his prophets concerning his son who was descended from David, ultimately getting to Jesus. And so Paul says the prophets are about Jesus and the gospel was promised beforehand in the prophets and Judges is a prophetic book. Judges is a book of, of prophetic history that the Old Testament is divided into three parts, the law, the prophets, and the writings. In, in the Hebrew Bible, Judges is found among the prophets. Joshua, Judges, Samuel, Kings, they're all historical, prophetic books. And so, this is about Jesus, ultimately. That in Judges, you will find portraits of what Jesus will do, pictures of how God will save through Jesus. And so, <laughs> this is some of the stuff we're talking about in Sunday school, but... If you think of a prophet, normally we think of a prophet as somebody who's telling the future, but a biblical prophet, what they do mainly, they're, they're covenant lawyers. They, they speak God's words to God's people and then call them to obey God's commands, and then they call God's people out when they do not obey those commands. They show, they show you and I whether we're faithful or unfaithful. And that's what Judges does. It's showing Israel, this is, this is who you are when you're on your own. You are a covenant-breaking people. You need a king. Right? And so a prophet would command God's people to love their Lord with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, love their neighbor as themselves, and then they proceed to lay out charges. And when you read Isaiah to Malachi, it's much more like a lawyer format. Here's what you've done. Here's the consequences. Here's the judgment. When you get to Judges, it just tells you the history. It tells, it's, it's, prophet, it's, it's convicting you through story. That's what Judges is there for, to show you this is what God has said, and Israel, you were not measuring up. And uh, it's nothing new. If you're following the, the story of the Bible, this is what happens right before in, Judge, in Joshua 24, where God tells Israel, you're just not going to be able to do what you're supposed to do. Joshua 24, 19. This is, what, this is what Israel's told. And they don't believe it, and this is the point. <laughs> Judges is going to show them, well, now you know. In Joshua 24, 19, it says, You're not able to serve the Lord because he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, he will turn and do you harm and consume you after doing good. And the people said to Joshua, No, we will serve the Lord. We got this. And Joshua said to the people, you are witnesses against yourselves 
that you have chosen the Lord to serve him. And they said, we are witnesses. And then he said, right now, put away the foreign gods that are still among you and incline your heart, move your heart to love the God of Israel. And they said, the Lord our God, we will serve and in his voice we will obey. And Judges says, yeah, that's not what happened. It's humbling. And so, when you come to Judges, you're getting history that shows God's people that they have not been faithful to their creator, to their redeemer who loves them, the one who rescued them from slavery in Egypt, and God saves them anyway because he is faithful. That's what he's promised. It's astounding. Right? So when you get to the edge of the book, if, I, mean, I, I told you to read it. I don't know if you, if you did or not. You can't not long and ache for a king, somebody who can restrain the evil of God's people, somebody who will set up the kingdom as God intended. See, Judges is written to get you to long for God's greater salvation through Jesus, his son, a king who will protect you from external enemies, but really also protect us from our sinful hearts. He grabs a hold of your heart and you love him and you want to follow him and you can't not look away. We need a king like that, sent by God. And so the, the language I think is good to use, when you're done judges, you're going to long for and ache for a spirit-filled Messiah and king, a judge who was able to lead God's people into rest. Of course, we know who that is now, it's Jesus. But in Judges, it gets pretty dark. And so you need this, you need this perspective as you come in. Because right? over and over again, it gets ugly. And especially at the end of the book, the refrain repeated over and over again is that in those days, there was no king and everyone did what was right in their own eyes, which sounds an awful lot like life today. Everybody does what they want. That's what sin is. I am my own king. I am the, I am the captain of my fate and the master of my soul. I can do what I want. And Judges is about the, the king who says, I have, I, I have the right to say otherwise. <laughs> I made you. And this king is going to come from the tribe of Judah. And Judges introduces that idea. And so, because we're not as familiar with the Old Testament, what I want to do, it's a recap if you've been in Sunday school, but it's helpful to hear this again and again and again is when we read in, Joshua, in, in Judges chapter 1 that um, Judah should go up first to fight for God's people. It's meant to be an alarm bell. It's meant to get your attention uh, to remember God's promises of old, that this is a, a moving forward in God's plan of salvation. Because God's evil-crushing king was promised long ago to come from the tribe of Judah. All right, so let me retell the story. We're going to fly from Genesis to Judges. And so I told you to buckle up at the beginning. <laughs> but you go back to the beginning, and God created the heavens and the earth, and after six days, he, he created human beings, and human beings were created to rule, to reign. Uh, they were crowned with glory and honor, uh, dominion and rule. They were called to be these steward kings of God's creation. That's who Adam was, created to be a king, to use power as God used his power, which is to serve, to care for creation. And part of Adam's role and responsibility that we can read back into the story 
He, was, he ought to have defended Eden as a warrior king from evil. And if you remember the story out of nowhere, the serpent shows up, the spiritual being comes in the form of a serpent who seduces and deceives Eve, and he gets her to eat the forbidden fruit, to disbelieve God's words, to reject the God who is good. And everywhere you read in the Bible, nobody blames Eve. All the blame falls on Adam. Because Adam is God's chosen king in Eden, in paradise, what he should have done. Well, Jonah's been telling me this over and over again. If I see a snake, I'm going to step on its head. <laughs> what, what Adam should have done is tell the snake, you do not rule me, I rule you. You are simply a beast of the field. Get out and stomp on its head. Of course, we know that's not what happened. Uh, Adam and Eve chose to be ruled by the beast. And now we all are ruled by the beastly nature within us, which is called sin, where we want, we want to rule and reign through power, and we devour one another. Um, Adam and Eve, in that moment, chose to live as if there was no king, doing what was right in their own eyes. And that's everybody now. It's human nature. Suffering and death entered the world. Cruelty to others is an abomination, knowing what life was. But in life post-Eden, it's an everyday occurrence, everyday occurrence. But it's in the midst of the mess that God said to Adam and to Eve that there would be another male king, another son born, who better Adam, who's going to crush the snake, who's going to defeat evil. It's Genesis 3.15. It's going to come from the family of Adam and Eve. It's going to be a male child who will crush the head of the serpent while being mortally wounded on the heel and the rest of the Bible, that's the story. It's saying, where is that perfect human who can defeat evil outside and inside? Who can defeat all of God's enemies and also devour the sinful self and restrain it, put shackles on it so to, to kill sin, to not be conquered by it. And so that includes judges. So if you follow the, 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 the scarlet thread of redemption from Genesis 3.15... Um, we know that king is going to come from Abraham's family, and then Abraham has a son Isaac, and it's going to come from Isaac's family, and Isaac has a son Jacob, and Jacob has 12 sons. And at the end of Genesis, he, the, it's not the firstborn, it's not the secondborn or the third, you finally get to Judah, and Jacob says this about Judah in Genesis 49, the scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, and to him will come the obedience of the people's. And it says, watch out, God's promised king will come from Judah. He, he is going to rule over his brothers and the nations. And that's what we're stepping into when you get to Judges. Because right? Moses was not from Judah, he was a Levite, yet he led them out of Egypt. Um, to, right to the edge of the promised land. He wasn't the perfect human, he died. Joshua, from the, Joseph's family line. He's not from the line of Judah. That's where our story starts. He leads people, God's people into the promised land, and they haven't finished the job. He's not the perfect human. He dies. And so the, the alarm bells are telling to get you to say, here comes Judah, 
And they are leading God's people as God promised in Genesis 49. And we're wondering, is God's king here? But we know he's coming to, to rule, to put God's enemies under his feet, just like the snake, to stomp on the head. And here's all the questions that Israel has. Who's in charge? Who's going to lead us? Who's going to fight for us? Who's going to destroy God's enemies? And God says that it's Judah. And so this is how Judges is about Jesus. It's getting you to look for that king. And when you get to the end, you have no king. You say, oh God, I need that king. Which sets you up for the rest of the story, leading to David. So all that biblical history is really helpful because it's telling you and I, this is what we need. We are not designed to live on our own. We need God's king who has the power over physical enemies. When kingdoms act like beasts and they invade and they do cruel things like chop off thumbs and big toes. And we also need a king who can restrain the selfishness of your heart. Jesus, the lion of the tribe of Judah, is that king. It's pretty astounding. When you have that perspective, it helps you see how relevant Judges is because we live on the other side of the cross with Jesus sitting at God's right hand, ruling and reigning. He is the king, but we live in a world where everybody says, I have no king and I do what I want. I do what's right in my own eyes. And so we're left with as questions as the church, how do we stay faithful to God as my king, to Jesus, when everyone else is doing whatever they want? When it, it looks very tempting, just like the fruit to Adam long ago. I want to be like them. It looks like a lot more fun. Judges is going to wake you up and say, that's not really that much fun. Look at what it does. See, the answer of Judges is you cannot live without God's king. And he loves you too much to leave you alone in your sin. He loves you too much to leave you as you are. And so that's my first point. Judges is about God's shocking salvation. That he he keeps coming. He won't leave you alone. And that salvation will come through the Lion of Judah. It's all rooted in his character. That's why Miles Van Pelt, he was my seminary professor and, and pastor in Mississippi, he writes that the most shocking feature in the book of Judges is not the horror of the people's sin depicted in these narratives. It's the glory of salvation from that sin, accomplished by the God of patience, mercy, compassion, steadfast love, and faithfulness. The terror of sin is outshone only by the glory of God's salvation works out through these judges, who then point us to Jesus. So that's what we're entering into. That's why we're going to study this book because it's going to, I want us to, I want to love Jesus more because it's when I love Jesus that I actually obey him, not out of duty, but out of choice. And Judges is going to help us on that journey because he is the perfect deliverer, the perfect king. Now, now we can dig into some of the, to this big thumb and big toe controversy. But if you are a structured person and you want to know how to break down the book, there are, I'll say this over and over again, there are two introductions to the book of Judges. 
There are two conclusions, like parallel parentheses. If you're a programmer, you always have to cl uh, close up your parentheses. There's two introductions, two conclusions, six major judges, six minor judges, and one anti-judge, Abimelech. And they're all here to, to get you to look for Jesus. They're going to they're going to be portraits of Jesus in some way or another. The second point I have this morning is when you come into Judges, you, have, you are confronted by a God who is unashamed to tell Judges, to tell Judah to go to war. Um, the character of God in Judges is, is as a warrior who puts his spirit on other warriors to, do, to fight his battles. So you look at verses 1 to 3. Who shall go up first for us to fight against the Canaanites? And the order coming from God's throne room above is Judah should take the battle. That while Adam failed to step on one snake, Judah, I want you to go to defeat whole armies of them, armed with swords. All right, go, I'll be with you. And so when you come to this, I know this offends us. <laughs> what do you do with as modern Christians not living in a war zone, not subject to this kind of cruelty. It's hard for us to get our minds wrapped around. And Ralph Davis, a commentator, says, he says this sarcastically, but it, it, it's still helpful. He says, how horrid that Israel would butcher innocent Canaanites and wreak havoc and misery and grab their land and all at Yahweh, the Lord's command. If only the Canaanites should know how much emotional support they receive from modern readers. <laughs> You know what he's saying, and, and what Judges is going to show you, it's the Canaanites aren't innocent, and neither is Israel. Neither are we. We come with these presuppositions that uh, God should just idly stand by when horrific things happen. All the while, in cult, as a culture, we love violence. Video games, like Call of Duty. Right? Um, we... You know, as Christians loving to watch Game of Thrones, I don't know if there are any out there, but it's hard to say I don't like the violence in the Bible while watching these violent TV shows. I mean, every blockbuster film that you see every summer is about the good guys going out and wiping the floor with the bad guys. They might not be chopping off thumbs and toes, but they do it differently. Right? We love this stuff. We love justice, and that's what Judges is about. It's about justice on evil Canaan. And Israel's not innocent. Judah's going up to fight Canaan now. When you get to Judges 19, you know who they're fighting? The tribe of Benjamin. They're going to war against themselves because sin is in them, not just outside of them. Benjamin has become just like Sodom and Gomorrah. And so the book of Judges, as God sends Judah to go fight, to go to war, this is the story of the grace guys versus the non-grace guys. Really, I mean, this is the story of God's covenant people saved by grace going to war as an instrument of justice against those who have not received that grace. And the nail, in our the helpful part of Adonai Bezek is he says, this is fair. Look at verse 7. As I have done, so God has repaid me. So you have Canaanite king, the epitome of wickedness, and cruelty. Seventy kings, he's, he's treated like dogs. He's, he's fed them the scraps under the table and they can't even grab it with their thumbs. And he says, this is justice. God is being fair. 
And so the question we always have to ask, and I think you have to wrestle with when you come to this passage, why do we who still have our thumbs are more bothered by God's justice than the guy who doesn't? God is a warrior king who does not play favorites when he sees sin. He will pay, somebody will pay for it. Justice will come. And in this case, he sends Judah. Now, how do you get from the death of the sunless king to Jesus? And this is how we're going to end. All right, Judah is sent by God in God's wisdom. And he goes to war and he recruits help. And this is, this is helpful. Whenever God's people work together, they succeed. Judges is about scattering. So we have partial success here. So when Judah takes Simeon to go and work together to fight against the Canaanites, to take their inheritance that God has promised, because this land is Israel's inheritance, God's gift is father to his son whom he loves. Um, they go to war. 10,000 are defeated at Bezek. They find the king. Adonai just means lord and king, Adonai Bezek. And they, they hunt him down. They chop off his thumbs and toes. This is, this is why it's really good news that the Bible is not just about imitating what you find there. Right? But the, the purpose was to humiliate the, the loser. Thumbs are cut off, you can't fight. You can't hold a sword effectively. If you have no big toe, you can't fight effectively. You can't run away. Uh, it's like an invisible ancient dog collar, right? You can't escape. And it's humiliating. You make them eat under the table like a dog by everyone's feet. You got to feel it. I mean, just imagine having somebody at your table every day, right? It's dinner time, you under the table. Here's, the, here's a couple, little bit of the crust for my bread, or here's, here's the chicken bone. Why don't you gnaw on the marrow? Right? It, this is brutal. In the midst of all this, Adonai Bezek says, this is fair, God, I deserve this. And we're left asking, why is this here? <laughs> why is this, if all scripture is God-breathed and useful for training and righteousness, why is this included? And part of what you'll notice is Adonai Bezek dies in Jerusalem. But it says he dies in Jerusalem, and then they tell you that Jerusalem was conquered, which is odd. That's, how, that's not in order. And so they've put it out of order on purpose. So this is theological storytelling. And so Adonai Bezek, what he is, is he is a world-conquering king, according to his boast. Adonai Bezek cut off the thumbs and toes of 70 kings, and it's, in, in the ancient world, 70 was the, the number of nations. This is in Genesis chapter 10. And so if there are 70 nations, here's Adonai Bezek's boast. You ready? I'm king of the world which we know is silly because it's only one small plot of land, but this is his boast. It's a serpent-like boast. I'm the strong man. I rule here, and all you belong underneath my feet. You're the scum beneath my toes. <laughs> that kind of thing. And he's saying, I've conquered every nation. I stand on top of the mountain. You're all beneath me. That's his boast. That's who I was, and now Judah has conquered him. I mean, it's not too hard to imagine, is it? I mean, this is what sin does. That's the boast behind every sin. I'm the king of the world. I'm the king of my world. If I ran this place, I w you would listen to me or, or I humiliate you. 
Adonai Bezek is, is a picture of us. Right? In my kingdom, snow would never affect my commute. I would never be sick. Everyone would use their turn signal. And when I don't use my turn signal, I have a good excuse. But those people cut off their thumbs. They should never drive again. <laughs> right? And yet he says, my sin has to be paid for. I deserve justice. And that's the tension. Because nobody's innocent. Judges won't let you make that mistake. And look what happens. In order for God's people to possess their, their, their inheritance, a great king, a world-conquering king, must die in Jerusalem. And that's the point. Justice must fall on the king, the world-conquering king, in Jerusalem. Right? For Judah to take their home that God had promised... This world-conquering king, the strong man who was uh, controlling everything, he had to be bound, defeated, humiliated, led to open shame, and then killed in Jerusalem, all to get that one plot of land. For us as Christians, right, the, the plot of land isn't Israel. It's the new heavens and the new earth. That's our inheritance. A plot of land prepared for you from before the foundation of the world to live in a land without enemies, without corruption, without sin, without abuse, without oppression, without evil. And that's the inheritance of the church, God the Father's gift to his children through those who are in Christ. And the question is, how do you get it? You have to be united to the world-conquering king who dies in Jerusalem. So here's what, what I found helpful to, to get to picture what this is, is for us as Christians. Jesus describes his coming into the world as somebody who is a warrior who has to bind the strong man in order to plunder his kingdom. That's what Judah's doing with Adonai Bezek. It's Matthew 12. How can, Jesus speaking says, How can someone enter the strong man's house without first binding him? Then he can plunder it. And so Jesus' is first coming, what he does is he binds evil. Not through the use of the sword, but through faith. Showing Satan that he has no rule or reign over this world. And then he goes and he calls all these different people to believe. And to everyone's surprise, evil runs away when Jesus shows up. Showing that Jesus came to bind that, that evil that holds us back. Our sin. Right. And so Jesus first came to put Satan under his feet, and then we also need a real king of the world, not just a sinful boast. We need a real king of the world to die in Jerusalem, but not for his sins, for ours. That's Jesus, what he says in his trial, remember? We just went through Matthew. You will see the Son of Man riding on the clouds, seated at the right hand of the Father, coming on the clouds of heaven. Jesus' boast, it's not that I killed 70 kings and humiliated them. He says, I have all authority in heaven and on earth, and I'm not going to cut off your thumbs and toes. In fact, I'm going to give you my inheritance. And so we can say, as I have done, so God has repaid Jesus in Jerusalem. That's why I called it thumbless grace. You get to keep your thumbs. You should rejoice this morning.
Because he doesn't, this is Jesus' attitude. It's completely different. He doesn't come to humiliate us. He bears the humiliation for us, bearing the, enduring the shame of the cross. He doesn't treat us as prisoners of war to be shamed, eating the scraps under God's table. No, he seats us right up at the Father's table right next to him to eat with the King of, the King, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And that inheritance, that land, that's all a gift if you are united by faith in the one who took God's judgment in your place. United by faith to Jesus, the just judge of the earth, who didn't come to condemn the world, but to save it. Do you know him? Do you know Jesus in that, that kind of picture? This king who ought to humiliate us, but doesn't. The king who uses power not to be served, but to serve. So we have Christ the king who binds, who comes to restrain our evil so that you and I can say, as I have done, thank you, God, that you have not repaid me, but put the punishment on Christ. That confession of repentance turns an enemy into a follower, a slave into an heir of creation, a son. So Adonai Bezek is good news. <laughs> not for him, but he points to the good news that we receive in Christ. So let me close this way. <clears throat> Judges is about this great salvation that Jesus gives us. And the inheritance that Jesus earned through his death is permanent. Right? Because it is imperishable, unfading, and undefiled. And if that is your inheritance, as the Bible tells us it is through faith in Jesus, you need to learn how to go to war with your anxieties, uh, with your sins, with your fears. To say, this may be taken from me now, but I have something more permanent in the next life to come. One that was bought with a price, the precious blood of Christ. All right? You know, we just think about how different you would live. If you knew you had a massive payout coming at the end of the year, at the end of your job, wouldn't, wouldn't you live differently knowing you had this, this, uh, this immeasurable wealth coming your way? So when the, Jesus the king died in Jerusalem, that was the price. You have that inheritance. We have to learn how to use that, those metaphors on our anxieties, on our fears. Say, I don't need this. It's okay. Jesus, Jesus is enough. Right. Or even more so, just the reality for those who will feel all the time like I need to hang my head. You know, why does the tribe of Judah... Why does Jesus, the lion from the tribe of Judah, come to conquer? What is his inheritance? It's not the plot of land. He has that. He's the ruler of the heavens and the earth. It's to plunder this world for us, to take you, to take me. That, that's what he sees you and I as, a royal, his treasured possession, as it says in Exodus 19. Not because we deserve it, but because he loves us. When you are hurt and crushed by evil, you're reminded this is not the promised land. We need to trust that Jesus will make that right. But until that day, lean into your inheritance. 
How do you get it? And this is what's, what's wonderful for us is we learn how to follow Jesus from a Canaanite because he has the, the most honest confession of sin in the whole book of Judges. He's the only one that says, yeah, I deserve this. Israel doesn't, doesn't pray prayers of repentance. They say, Al, this hurts. Fix it. But they don't say, I deserve this. And so you have a pagan, violent, murdering king teaching us that the way to it, get your inheritance is to own your sin, confess your part in it, say, God, you should, you should abandon me, but by grace you, you choose not to. That, 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 that is our boast, that the most shocking thing about me <laughs> is Jesus forgives me for my foolish boasting, for thinking I ran this place, my attempts to control everyone. He even lets us keep your big toes so you can serve him. <laughs> Go and learn of the grace of your king that he gives so freely, but yet at his great cost. Let's pray. Father, there's a lot of information, but I pray you would show us that for us to receive our inheritance, we needed Jesus, the one true king, to die in Jerusalem. And so we praise you that he uh, endured the shame for the joy set before him to dwell with us in a new heavens, a new earth. I pray there are those here who do not yet know this Jesus who will come back to judge the quick and the dead, that they would run to him for refuge and that they would pray prayers like Adonai Bezek, I deserve this. And yet, I pray, Lord, be merciful. Son of David, have mercy on me. I pray that would be our cry today so that we would go not conquering with swords but with the word of grace that Jesus has given. So we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.